That Luke chapter number 11. Aren't you thankful um, for history that you have with God? That you can look back at times in which he's provided for you. And he's comforted you. And he's given you guidance. He's given you help. And you can know that in today's struggle, he can do the same exact thing. If he walked on water to calm a raging sea. Friend, he can help wherever you're at. He can calm the storm in your life as well. We're in this series on prayer and will be for today and uh, Lord willing into next Sunday. And we've been talking about why we should pray and how we should pray. A lot of Christians struggle with the why, with the motivation because, well, they pray and it doesn't seem to work. And so we talked about that. Prayer actually does work when we work it. When we pray with desperation, when we pray with persistence, and when we pray with boldness, prayer does work. I found that when prayer doesn't work, the problem's never God. Well, then, Pastor Tyler, if I'm working prayer the right way, why isn't God answering my prayer? And we talked about eight possible reasons in Scripture for why God might not be answering your prayer. And then we talked about Well, if God is going to do what God's going to do, then why should I pray anyway? If his plans are already mapped out, you talk about his sovereignty. He's in control. His eternality. He sees the beginning from the end. You say, pastor, that his plans can't be thwarted. So why should we pray in the first place? And we learn from Exodus uh, chapter 32 that, that God uses your prayers as an instrument to fulfill his plans. You may not change God, but God will use you as part of changing the world. And now we're looking into how to pray. We talked about last week how not to pray. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't use God as a means to an end. Pray because you want to get closer to God. Not just because you want something from God. And then don't pray like the heathen, the lost, the pagans. Don't just say a bunch of meaningless babble, a bunch of words to try to impress God. You don't have to impress God. You could never impress God. Through Christ, he's already impressed by you. Man, when you understand the gospel, that he sees you as a son, as a daughter, that God sees you as righteous through the blood of Jesus, it might help you to pray with less pressure to say all the right things and to approach him in just the right way. So now we're going to learn for the next two weeks how we should pray by this, by this thing in, in scripture that, that some people call the Lord's prayer and, and, and some call the model prayer. Now I would never split hairs with you about what you call it. I, I don't, I don't really care. Um, I choose to call it the model prayer more than I call it the Lord's prayer, just because I don't think the Lord, well, I know the Lord would never pray, forgive me for my sin, right? Cause he's our savior. And so that's why I think the model prayers is what's written in the heading of my Bible. It's probably the most appropriate um, in what I'll call it throughout the course of the message today. Let's look at verse 1 by way of introduction. It gives us the context. Luke says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, that's Jesus, when he ceased or when he stopped, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his Disciples. So we're given a little context what's going on. Jesus has just 
wrapped up a, a season of prayer in which the disciples had seen him talking to the Father. And just as soon as they saw, whether in his words or his posture, that, that he was done in, in this time of prayer, one of the disciples came up to him and said, on behalf of the entire group, can you teach us to do what you just did? Can you show us how to pray? Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this request. Notice when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They asked him after observing him in prayer. Now, think about what that says to us. Jesus himself prayed. And he prayed often. Just in the Gospel of Luke alone, there's there's another five or six references outside of this one that show us that, that Jesus felt it necessary to talk to the Father in prayer. The clear implication is this, that that if Jesus, the God-man, the blending of complete deity and perfect humanity, felt it so necessary to pray so often, then we certainly need to learn how to pray. We should also consider who the disciples are asking to teach them. Jesus. Who better to teach you how to pray than Jesus? You know why I say that? Because he knows both sides of prayer. Being fully human, he knows all about offering prayer, needing prayer. But being fully divine, he knows all about answering prayer and listening to prayer. He knows the human side and the God side of prayer. And that's who we get to learn from today. Isn't that amazing? I want you to consider why this request is so significant. Because Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 is the only place in Scripture where the disciples directly asked Jesus to teach them anything. They didn't ever ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. Didn't ever ask Jesus how to teach them how to lead a service in the synagogue. Didn't ever ask Jesus to teach them how to perform miracles. They asked him, teach us how to pray. In fact, the disciples, if you study the book of Luke, just in chapter 11 had just returned from a successful missionary journey in which they preached and they performed miracles. And it was fantastic for them. Yet in in the midst of being proficient in those things, they still needed to learn how to pray. Which tells us this, we can do all sorts of good things for the Lord. Serve and give and sing and teach and preach and encourage and evangelize and still not be efficient in our prayer life. You can come every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night and sing in the choir if you want and still struggle to pray every day and to do it effectively. You know what that teaches us? Prayer ought to be something in our lives that we're constantly wanting to learn about. That we're constantly wanting to to, to practice and become better at. The disciples' request should be our request day as we sit underneath this text of Scripture. Lord, teach me to pray. I'm going to invite you to be in that posture today. I'm going to invite you to be in that posture next Sunday. I'm going to invite you, no matter your stage of life, I'm going to invite you to not be a know-it-all when it comes to prayer. But to say like the disciples who walked and talked with Jesus every day, I need help here. Jesus, show me what I don't already know about how to pray effectively and efficiently to the Father. Thankfully, Jesus does that. He doesn't guilt them for not knowing how to pray. 
He doesn't say, no, you'll just, you'll just watch me a little longer and I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll catch on. No, he lays out a model, this, this example, this outline to help guide their own prayer life. Now, I need to say something here. It, it's important to realize that Jesus isn't saying we, we have to pray these exact words every time we pray. You know that, right? Some denominational traditions recite this prayer every Sunday, and that's okay. Some sports teams recite this prayer before every game. I I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind here. I like how Tim Keller puts it. By the way, if Jesus had that in mind, then we wouldn't have other prayers with him saying other words. But I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says that you should use the words of the model prayer like a melody line that you riff off of in your prayer times. Y'all know what the word riffing means? It's a musical term. And, and, and if, you, if you've ever heard a jazz musician play a, a saxophone or even a, a jazz vocalist sing, there's riffing in their voice. When, when the, the saxophonist is, is looking at the music, they are playing more notes with their saxophone than what is written on the music they're looking at. But it's not these arbitrary notes. It's not these, these random notes. There's this musical cohesiveness if you listen to jazz music. And it's like they're playing a lot of notes, more than what's written, but it all makes sense. And it all sounds good. Why? Because they have a melody line. And they look at this melody line, then they riff off of it. Every one of our instrumentalists today did a little riffing. Riffing, I should say. Where, where, where if you saw their music, you would see that was what was on Miss Kay's music, what was simplistic. She played a lot more that's on the music. Uh, Brady Steckle, bless his heart, he doesn't even read music. He's just one riffing machine. That's all he does. I wish he would read music a little more often. It would help me. Cause me less stress. But this is the idea of riffing. You don't look at the, this is just a melody line. And then from that melody line, you elaborate. From that melody line, you, you, you improvise. On prayer, let, 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 me, let me kind of give you an example. The, the first phrase of the model prayer is, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we, don't, we can pray that word for word, and that's a fine prayer, that's fine. But, but I think it's meant to just serve as a single note. And so we think through, what does it mean exactly that we're praying to our Father? We stop for a second and think about that, then we riff off of it. In other words, we say, dear heavenly father, thank you for being my father. Thank you for loving me like a father, for taking care of me like a father, for protecting me like a father, for providing for me like a father. I'm thankful to be your child today. Did you hear the riffing going on there? Hallowed be thy name. In other words, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to worship your holy name. I I want your name to be glorified in my life and in my family today. I want to recognize how holy your name is. I want to echo the words of the psalmist that said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now that's more than what Jesus said in the model prayer. But when you seek to understand what the melody line means, you can then improvise off of that. This is just a springboard to pray deeper and more intentionally and more regularly, more theologically and more specific. Does that make sense? So what we'll do with the message today is we'll look at verse two, the first part of the model prayer. And that has to do mainly uh, with the glory of God. So his person, his name, his will. The second part 
is in verse 3 or 4, and we'll talk about that next week, and it focuses on the good of man, our provision, our forgiveness, our protection. So look at verse number 2. And he, it's Jesus, said unto them, his disciples, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. We learn to pray in three different ways from, from, from this outline. We're going to learn how to pray personally. We'll learn how to pray reverently. We'll learn how to pray submissively. Number one, we should pray personally. Jesus said, our Father, which art in heaven. That's the phrase that makes our, our prayers personal. We aren't talking to a distant force of some kind. We're not, we're not petitioning a controlling dictator. We're not making a request to a harsh taskmaster. We're talking as children to our Father. Kevin DeYoung says, the biggest indicator of Christian prayer is not the geographic direction in which we pray or the body position while we pray or even that we experience a certain feeling when we pray. What makes it Christian prayer is first an awareness of the one to whom we pray. Many of us start our prayers by saying this, dear heavenly father. But if you're like me, we don't often pause there long enough to realize the magnitude and the wonder of what we just said. Of all the titles that our sovereign, heavenly, holy God could command us to call him. It's not almighty one. It's not Lord conqueror. It's not exalted king that he chooses. He says, call me father. If we don't grasp this, we'll live as spiritual orphans. We'll always be fearful that God's not listening or that we've got to do one more thing to earn his attention or his affection. I read about a family in a Baptist church who adopted a number of children from a South Asian country. The mother shared often that she often was uh, uh, saddened over how one of the little boys who came into their family at the age of five would often try to manipulate and lie and steal to get his way rather than just simply asking her for what he needed. She said, I'm heartbroken because he still thinks like an orphan who has to fend for himself instead of an actual part of our family. In the same way, we who are saved in a relationship with Jesus have been adopted into God's family. 1 John 3, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Now let this sink in. Adoption is a one-time parental decision. Adoption is not a, a, a conditional status that fluctuates with the behavior of the child. When we get saved, we don't enter into God's foster care system. No, if you've accepted Christ, God has made you a part of his family. And that's final forever. Embracing the fatherhood of God in prayer it imparts to you this sort of confidence that enables you to pray boldly through any temptation and, and any trial and any struggle and any season of life. You don't have to come to God in fear or uncertainty. You don't have to, to tout your own goodness to impress him. You don't have to twist his arm to manipulate him. You just need to say, my father. So next time you open your prayer with dear heavenly father, don't just pass on. Without riffing on that for a while. Without saying, God, thanks for being my dad. For some of you, you would say, thanks for being the dad I never had. 
Pray personally to God like you're part of his family. Notice, secondly, pray reverently. This is where we find more balance here in our approach to to God. He said, hallowed be thy name. So while we're we're praying to God personally and we're, we're talking to him like he's a father, we're also to approach him with a sense of reverence and respect for who he is as God. It's no different with how I expect my son to approach me. Shouldn't have to rehearse what he's going to say before he comes and talks to me or be worried about saying it just the right way or just the right length. He should have this undaunted confidence in my love and acceptance for him as my son. But he also shouldn't approach me like I'm one of his sixth grade classmates. Don't talk to me like I'm your homie. Because I'm not your God, but I'm your father. I'm your authority. And I love you and I want you to feel comfortable talking to me, but, but I'm not your bud all the time. Now, obviously, um, the word hallowed is, is kind of hard to understand because we don't, we don't talk about that word much. We don't use it in our daily vocabulary. Um, in fact, I, I read about a guy that grew up in a, in a traditional Baptist church and ever since he was eight years old and even to adulthood, uh, he, he grew up in this church where, where to start every service, they, they actually recited this prayer in unison together. So, so they, they, they said, uh, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, as a little boy, you know what he thought they were saying? Our father, which art in heaven, Howard be thy name. So even into adulthood, he thought God's name was Howard. Now there's obviously a difference between hallowed and Howard. But it's not a complicated word. It's not. Hallowed in, in our, in our uh, vocabulary today in this context would mean something like this. Beautiful. Most beautiful. Worthy. Most worthy. So when we're praying, hallowed be thy name, we're telling God and maybe even more importantly reminding ourselves that he is above and he's more important and he's more beautiful and he's more worthy than anything or anyone else, including anything else that I'm about to ask him for in prayer. We may be about to ask him to get us out of a fix or give us healing or help us with an exam or an interview or a presentation. We may want to ask him to enable us to bear this pain or or show us how to navigate a relational difficulty. And he's eager to help and you should be willing to ask. But we must first remind ourselves that he's greater than any gift he may give us. So in saying, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, I, I would love to have the new job. And God, I would love to have a healed body. And God, I would love for you to put me into that relationship. But, but Lord, you're better than any of those things. Hallowed be your name. If I don't get them, it's not going to affect my joy. It's not going to affect my peace. It's not going to affect my confidence because you are my greatest possession. You are the one I hallow. You are the one I treasure. Doesn't it make sense why it's at the front end of prayer? Because it keeps God's worthiness and his holiness, his uniqueness. His attributes, his character, his name at the forefront of your prayer. It, it, it's God's name that everything else really hinges upon. It keeps God in his rightful place in our hearts. It safeguards us from loving his gifts more than we love the giver. J.J. Packer in his book on prayer said, The vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. 
I can't help but think of my own prayer life. While it's true, we all struggle with distractions. We all struggle with discipline and prayer at times. If prayer starts feeling dull and boring for a season of my life, I have to conclude that in large part, I've lost a sense of who it is I'm praying to. That if I'm honest, God's not as worthy to me as he used to be. He's not as beautiful to me as he should be. And the same could be true for you when your prayers are dull and boring. Might it be because your conception of God is dull and boring? If you knew just who it was that you were talking to, how could you not be eager, eager and excited and, and, and enthusiastic about conversing with him? Brother Packer had it right. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. So Christian, get a better, truer, bigger, sweeter understanding of God and see what that does to your prayer life. If you're thinking, man, I'm kind of a new Christian. I'm not a seasoned Christian. And so, so when I, I go to riff off of hallowed be thy name, well, I don't know that much about theology like that. I, I don't understand that much about God's name and character and holiness. Man, I would love to give you a book on God's attributes. Thank God for Google. Because right before you pray, you can just type in there attributes of God and see all the names of God in Scripture. And just just pray one after another. Tell God who He is. Not because God needs to be reminded who He is. You need to be reminded who He is. You need to be positioned and postured in your spirit about, about who you're talking to. Father, yes, yes, Father. Talk to Him without being rehearsed. Talk to Him without being professional. Talk to Him short, medium length, or long. He's your father. Just talk to him. But don't forget he's your God. Respect him. Reverence him. We're to pray personally and reverently. Can I give you one more? Pray submissively. I think this is where the rubber meets the road in this prayer. Jesus said, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. J.D. Greer, pastor and author of this really good book on prayer, said this, prayer is not about getting God to further our plans so much as seeking to join God in His. You get that? In other words, when we pray, we aren't asking God to help us with our agenda. We're asking Him to let us help with His. We aren't asking God to build our little kingdom. We're asking Him to build His kingdom through us. We're asking Him to fulfill His will Through us to line up our lives with his purposes. Notice how Jesus said that we ought to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever thought about that? In heaven, there's complete obedience to God's will. There's no buck in the system. There's no desire for independence. There's no vain glory. There's no rebellion. There's no resistance. There's no procrastination. You understand that about heaven, right? God's children are are all glorifying and serving and obeying and honoring him perfectly in heaven. Our prayer ought to be that our lives on earth will resemble as much as possible what's going on in heaven right now. And remember, we aren't expected to pray this line for line, word for word. This is a springboard. This line, thy will be done. This is a springboard for us to be thinking about areas in our life where we want God's will to be clear. 
where we're struggling to follow God's known will for our life. So riffing off of this line may sound something like this. God, I'm struggling in my marriage. We can't seem to connect, me and my wife or me and my husband. We can't seem to move forward. It's not getting better. Would you move in and have your will in our relationship? God, would you help me to die to myself and to submit to your way today? Would you allow my marriage to become a picture of your kingdom and your glory? Or you could say, God, I I want your will to be done in my child's life today. Sometimes I can get in the way of that happening because, well, I think I have a good plan mapped out for their future. And I struggle with the thought of not being able to be in control. So Lord, help me to not take your place in their lives. Help me to submit to your will for their future and to trust that you'll take good care of them, even if it scares me to death. Or you could pray, God, may your will be done in my job. I want a better job. I want a better paying job. I want something different for my family. But God, I know I'm prone to put my kingdom above yours. So help me to remember that your will is most important, not my comfort, not my desires, not my success. So, so God, help me to be content. Help me to be patient. Help me not to complain at work. And give me your wisdom. Or you could pray, God, may your will be done in my money, with my money. I know you've commanded me to put you first and your kingdom first with my finances, but, but God, if I'm honest, I'm struggling with this selfish pull on my finances right now. I'm struggling to tithe faithfully and to give generously, to steward wisely, to stop swiping my credit card so much. All I can think about is how much money I don't have and how much more I could be doing if I got paid better or if I didn't tithe. And honestly, God, I'm distracted by that right now. So I want to surrender to you again today. I want to lay it at your feet. I want to recognize that I'm just a steward of the finances that you've entrusted me with. Whether I have a lot or, or God, whether I have a little. Help me to put you first. Help me to get my eyes off of earthly things and trust you to provide my every need. Are you with me today? One way that you could riff off of this Line in the model prayers, you could remember what the Apostle Paul told us in Romans 6, that we are to yield or surrender the members of our body to the Lord. So you know what that would look like for you maybe one day of the week? is just say this. Our, it would say something like this. God, here are my eyes. Help me to look at that which is holy today. And turn from that which is unholy. God, here is my mouth today. Help me to say only those words that will bring you honor and glory Only words that will encourage those around me today. God, here's my mind. Help me to think kingdom thoughts that will produce righteous actions. God, I surrender my hands. Whatever I do with them, help me to do it with all my heart, soul, and mind. And that what I would do would align with your kingdom purposes. God, here are my feet. Help them to take me in the direction of a lost soul today. Help them to take me... Take me right past a discouraged Christian today. God, here are my emotions. You know I struggle to keep them under control sometimes. So I yield them to you. And I ask that you would use them for good. 
I could go on, but you get the point. Prayer is an invitation to daily to surrender to God's will and to daily submit to seeking his kingdom first in our lives. It is not primarily an invitation to get God to cooperate with your agenda. But to align or realign your heart with his. And wouldn't you agree that it is so easy to get out of alignment with God? Our passions and our priorities can so quickly fall out of alignment. And sometimes we don't even feel it happening. Just like, like when you're driving a car for a certain uh, length of months or years. You, you don't necessarily, unless you're an expert, if you're like me, you don't necessarily feel your car falling out of alignment as it happens. You usually feel it after it does. You didn't know that it just is... A result of driving and driving in liberal Kansas where every square block you have a four foot dip in the road for some reason. And the more you go over the dips, the more your tires and all that needs aligned. So you go get it realigned. Well, that's what prayer is. It's, it's, it's a daily opportunity for you to have a realignment of your of your passions, a a realignment of your priorities. Why? Because we're selfish people. We get so focused on our kingdoms that that prayer and praying this, Lord, 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 let your kingdom be first in in my life. Let, Let your will be done in my life. That realigns us at the start of a day. You need that. And I want to be real honest with you as your pastor today. Some of you really need a realignment. This summer, you've completely fallen off. We see you uh, less often. The, the growth step there, evening services, that's not even on your map during the summer. I want to encourage you, realign your passions and priorities. Don't, don't become so earthly minded that without even knowing it, you're swerving off the road. Use prayer as, as a means to say, God, I don't want to to, to fall out of alignment with your passions and priorities, and I know I'm prone to, so here is my life today. And you ought to pray that every day so that you don't slowly fall out of alignment and have to make some big correction. Does that make sense? So the first part of this model prayer, it's all about God's glory, his person, his name, and his will. So so what we're going to do for the invitation is I'm just going to invite you to pray this part of the model prayer. Now, I'm not going to ask you to pray it word for word. I'm, asking, I'm going to ask you to riff off of it for a little bit. Not out loud where you can impress people and got to be nervous about it. But just privately in your heart, whether it be at an altar today or be at your seat in an attitude of prayer. I want you to pray personally. Our Father which art in heaven. I want you to thank God for making you his child. I want, you to, I want you to dwell on the fact that it is your standing with him and his family is not based on your behavior. That you don't have to live up to a certain standard in order to stay inside God's family, but that you are secure in his love forever. I want you to pray personally today. Then I want you to riff off of hallowed be thy name. I want you just to think the best you can as the Holy Spirit brings to mind these attributes of God that make you most thankful, that you reverence the most. That you respect the most. What is it? What is it about God that impresses you the most today? 
Is it his sovereignty? Is it his providence? Is his love? His long-suffering? His faithfulness? His inability to change? Or to lie? Or to exaggerate? His perfectness, his justice. What is it about God that you just need to say, God, hallowed be that part of your character. Pray reverently. And then wrap up your prayer today at an altar with with praying submissively. What is one area of your life where you feel like it needs a little bit of of a realignment today? Is there any part of your life, passions or priorities, that if you're real honest, the Holy Spirit has already said, you need to deal with that. Then maybe just come and say, God, in that area of my life, this week, I'm giving that to you. I'm surrendering that to you. Not my will, but thine be done. We got a great opportunity to put to practice this passage right now. I want to do that as a church today. Would you stand to your